Good morning and welcome to Coffee with the Sarlows. I'm Kelly. Good morning. I'm Karen. We're going to start off with show notes today. We have our evening with medium events coming up on August 24th. It is completely sold out, so thank you again to everyone. We still have very limited tickets left for our December event on the 14th this year, and we will have tickets on sale for 2019 very soon. Stay tuned. If you're looking for a shorter version of Coffee with the Sarlos, we have a second podcast series called Sips of Sanity, available on the website by sarlo.com. This is a 10-minute show that airs the first Monday to Friday of each month. And we always pick a theme. We teach you something. It's related sometimes to what we do, and sometimes it's an emotional intelligence or an intuitive intelligence toolkit. And last but not least, we have gift certificates available as well as personal sessions that can be purchased and experienced from anywhere in the world. And moving on to today's show, I am so excited to announce that we are doing this show on search and rescue. And I say I'm excited because I had no involvement. (laughs) And it's just pure pride. I am so proud of who you are and what you did for this family. I can't wait for you to share your story. Thank you, Kelly. Okay, so here's the story. Tuesday. Tuesday morning, as soon as I got up, I saw an email from a couple locally, well, locally, I'll say Ontario, not North Bay, um, that sent an email and said, can you please help us? We have a missing person. An uncle is missing. And so I responded back right away because, oh God, Kelly, I had such a full day of clients. I didn't think for a moment that I was going to be able to have time to do it. So I emailed this gentleman and his wife back right away and said that I would do what I could, but that the day was really busy and, you know, could I just pick up things here and there if possible and get a hold of them when I, when I could. As soon as that email came in, I remember sitting at my desk, I instantly felt depression. I felt sick to my stomach too. I remember being nauseated. And then I remember my brain feeling like somebody was scrambling it. But I couldn't quite understand what was going on with my brain. It wasn't that I couldn't think. It wasn't that I couldn't function and and think about, you know, where my cup is. Things just didn't seem to want to fire. Am I wording that right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So that came over me right away. I want to point out before you move on that you had a full day of clients ahead of you, that these are the physical sensations that you're going through as well as the mental sensations that you're experiencing. And at that point early in the morning, we're usually wondering which client it's going to belong to. Yeah. Then on top of that, you receive an email that there's a missing person, which means there's a panicked family and a panicked individual. Mm -hmm. And you have to discern whether or not those sensations you've just experienced belong wholly Mm -hmm. to one client or separately to a bunch of clients. Mm -hmm. And you have to have the calmness and the patience to proceed with your clients for the rest of the day, knowing that a family is anticipating so much from you when you're done. That's really well described. Yeah, and I think it's really important to say that because I know I know in sometimes in a very loving and joking way, 
we can be told that we don't really function well amongst others. Mm -hmm. And I just don't understand how that's not the highest form of functioning. (laughs) You went, you went to work and did an eight hour day. Yeah. Eight hour was 10. On top of everything that was expected of you. Yeah. Okay. In feeling what others feel. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. There's, um, there's an emotional fatigue too, because I, I know in that moment that the human part of me wants to go into, I want to be able to help. There's a human aspect of me that also has empathy for the couple and the everyone in his family, but also what this person could be going through. And I think it's really incredible that the spirit world filters all of that, organizes all of that, and sends in those feelings, and then somehow tries to get me the message that this is what he's feeling. And then am I going to find out that that's true or not? And the only, and I may never find out that's true. I don't know. So the first thing I did when I spoke to that person, I picked up the phone and connected with them, was I told them that I felt nauseated, that I felt anxious, that I felt depressed. And I think right in that moment, they don't have a good feeling hearing that. Because why is this person missing to begin with? They have no clue, alive or dead, what they're feeling, what they're going through. Could this just be anxiety of being lost? Or was it anxiety before they went out? So there's no information for me at this point. Although what comes in one of the emails, and I don't even know which one because I don't open that part, is that the the woman sent me, I'll call her um, Nicole. Nicole sent an email with an attachment. And it was apparently some information, I guess, pertaining to the missing person. But I don't want to open that because there can be pictures, there can be information in the news and I don't know who she's asking about it's just a cousin she doesn't there's no name well no and the less information that we know initially the better yeah because I want to use all of that information if he shows up and shows me what he looks like I want to be able to give that to Nicole and Luke and say is he bald does he have clean shaven face I want to be able to say this is his body size that he's an average size man he's fit He's older, he's over 50 or over 60. I want to be able to say he's lost in the bush versus he went missing on a lake or he went missing in a city or right from his house or whatever, what type of vehicle. Because if there's a picture of the vehicle, I can't use any of that. So if I open up an attachment, it can negate all kinds of pertinent information that he's giving me all during that day, which makes it a complete waste of my time and energy. And boy, oh boy, Kelly, if there's one thing that we know about finding missing people, it requires tremendous energy. I want to pause there because when you say that it could potentially negate the information, I think some people who may think, oh my God, if my if my person went missing, I would want them to have as much information as fast as possible to not waste time. Yeah. But in our situation, like I said, the less that we know, the better. 
because it means that we're actually using our intuitive skills. And when we can describe the person without having seen a picture of them, you know we've already connected to them. Yeah. If you give us the information and we're not working for it, there's much more of a chance that individuals are going to fight against us in disbelief or doubt. Oh, and that's pertinent because we are having to create a relationship with the family the humans that are alive, that are searching, or the police or whatever. And we have to create a relationship with the person who's missing, yeah. whether they're alive or past. And this is equally as important because you and I pick up information and energy from both those who are alive and past. Yes. And I, the thing that I wanted to say is that the disbelief or doubt is actually the biggest waste of time for us. Well, and quite often it blocks being able to move forward in investigations. As you and I know, some of times we get stonewalled because of the humans. Not because the spirit world isn't willing, but because the human behavior from the family or the police or whoever in search and rescue presents a block for us. Okay, well, these two people created no blocks. I believe, I believe at that point he showed me that he was in a vehicle, like in a car, or that he'd gone in a car, he was on a lunch hour, he had gone to his house and cleaned up, he'd been at work, was going, well, I would say that people think he was going back to work, but he didn't. Um, he described his personality. He said how kind he was, what a loving person he was, that he had a wife. And I think at that point, Kelly, I asked the person, um, person that made the phone call in the email if they had a son and they said no so I thought oh I got that wrong I can't get two things wrong in a row or I can't do this so I just remembered writing down on a notepad um, that I got that part wrong about a son and that I needed to check in with that later and it did come up later as another affirmation the next day so on Tuesday he gave me information and said that he would be found Wednesday so I gave what information I could on Tuesday morning, and then I said that I would try and reach them later that day. So I went on to see clients all that day. And you know what, really, and honestly, I didn't know if I was going to be able to do those readings well for people. But the spirit world came through tremendously well, and kept me on task with each client as I went through the day. But those sensations of the depression, and the upset stomach, and the brain sensation, were not part of anybody else's sessions that day. So I had no reason to second guess the information, which made me super happy. I mean, what are the chances of that? Not not that good. So I was really, really happy. I connected with them again that evening and told them that I didn't have a whole lot of information in regards to I, I don't know, Kel, just more pertinent information other than personality that he was in the bush. There were some general things that he was saying. And I believe they asked me if he was still alive on Tuesday. And he came through and said to me, my mom and dad are passed over. I'm not with them. And so I said to the person on the phone, I said, he's telling me that his mom and dad are passed over and that he's not with them. And so he, he said, that's correct. So at that point, my belief, based on what he was saying to me, was that he was still alive on Tuesday. That's what I understood. Tuesday night when I went to bed, Cal, 
I had a difficult time falling asleep because my energy was still revved up trying to find him, trying to remote view and using all of the intuitive gifts. And I think on top of that, seeing all of the clients and using the gifts for those things as well. You think? <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that was a little bit of a challenge okay. that night. Anyway, as soon as I laid down in the bed, he walked into the room and I thought, oh, hi. And he says, I'm Jacques. Up to this point, I did not know his name. His family members didn't tell me his name. I didn't open any emails. I don't see the news. I have no clue who he is. He walks in. And you know what? I wasn't sure if it was Jay or Jacques. Not quite certain because I saw and heard Jay, J-A. Anyway, so I just said to him, are you the missing person? And he said, yes. And I thought, I have to take a really good look at him. <laughs> I have to be able to describe him. I really want the details. And I remember a bald head. Remember clean shaven face and not no beard, no goatee, no mustache. I remember looking at a person who was fit. Some of the things that I, he had told me earlier in the day, but now I can see clearly. So he's not a big, big man. He's not overweight. He's not super muscular, but he looks pretty fit to me. Shows me that he likes being in the outdoors, camping, the lake, being in the bush. But not. I don't see that he's a hunter because he doesn't bring a gun into the room. He just shows me like that he likes being outside. And then he shows me being in a uniform or like, you know, like somebody that would wear to work, that kind of a, a thing. And what else did he say? Oh, he said, um, get out of bed. He says, um, I'm going to show you where I am. And I'm thinking, well, I don't want to get out of bed. <laughs> you show me where you are. <laughs> so he says, okay, get into the car. And I don't know how to explain this, but all of a sudden I feel like I'm in the car. He says, get out of the car, go to your right. Now we're facing the bush together like oh okay and he says we're gonna walk into the bush so we walk into the bush he walks straight into the bush Kelly not far and then he makes a sharp right turn he stops on a dime turns to his right and he says we're gonna walk two kilometers and I said okay he, I said so I have to remember this two kilometers I have to remember specific things about this I'm not walking into the bush for days I'm not walking into the bush I don't know how to say that for miles, kilometers, for hours. Even. Yeah. And, and yet it could be that he did originally and then came back to this point. He could have done a circle. I don't know. But what he's doing at this point is saying, this is where my body is. Not all the places that I've been at this point. I don't even know how many days he's been missing. The family doesn't tell me I have no clue. I just know on Tuesday morning, from the email that he's been missing. I don't know if this is a week, two weeks, whatever. So he continues to show me. We walk two kilometers and I'm, I'm in a lake. And I thought, I'm in a lake? And he goes, yeah, I'm in the lake. And then I hear a helicopter. And he says, the helicopter will come and take me out. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh. This, this doesn't sound good. But he doesn't tell me if he's alive or passed at this point. But I said to him, will you be dead when they do this? And he disappeared on me. So he's given you his location in reference to his vehicle and a body of water. Yes. I think that's worth noting because for anyone who doesn't do search and rescue like us, that's incredibly important. Oh my God, yeah. Because we're not given coordinates to someone technical like a pilot. We're not given 
north, south, east, west. He also gave me a road, Kelly. Sorry. It, just as you're doing that, he also said that he was close to the road, that it wasn't way out. So he gave me three things. As you're saying that, I'm just remembering that he said to me he was close to the road. And I'm thinking, how? How can he be close to his car, the road, a lake, when there's so many people that are doing search and rescue? What has happened? Well, what I think has happened is they've missed him, which I think is easy to do when you're looking over a large piece of area. And as days go on, I imagine that people that are doing search and rescue, the police, the family members, the helicopter pilot, I'm sure that these people are going overland and they're trying to figure out left, right. And this was something I said to him in my bedroom. Are you sure it's a hard right? Because hmm, if I tell them to go right and he's left and there's a lake on the left side, they're going to spend way too much time in the wrong direction. And he said it's a hard right. And I'm like, okay. So that was it for that. I thanked him. Um, he d I can't recall that he said very much more, Kelly, because he just disappeared on me. And I remembered feeling at that time, hopeless, that they would find him alive. But when I asked him to come back in and I said, am I allowed to say whether you're going to be found alive or dead? He said no. And I just remembered thinking, I have to respect what he's asking me. So if the family is going to ask me tomorrow morning, Wednesday morning, if he's going to be found dead or alive, I know I'm going to write it down on the page, but I can't, I can't say that he's asking me not to. He wants them to hear that from the police, not from me. So I did that. If he had said and answered me, I would have told them, but he asked me not to. Wednesday morning when I woke up, First thing in the morning, I got a text message saying from the family saying um, the police and the helicopter pilot are waiting for your directions. And I just remembered shitting my pants. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I just remembered thinking, oh my God. Okay, so here it is. This is why he came in the night before when I went to bed. This is why he made me do it exactly. Why didn't I write it down? Why didn't I? <laughs> get up and write the directions and draw the map. I have to remember it exactly as he told me, in spite of the fact that I've had all these dreams and I've been dream walking all night for all these clients. I got to get it right. So I just sat there and thought, okay, I, I can do this. So I picked up the phone, I called the family member and I said, this is what he told me last night when I went to bed. I had to get into the car, get out of it. I said the car uh, was locked. I had to go around to the right, face the bush and I repeated everything word for word. And I think it's really important that people understand when it's really important for us as psychics and mediums to repeat things word for word so that we don't interpret anything. We can give it to them and then the search and rescue team has the opportunity to interpret it any way they want. I think that's really interesting because in average sessions when people are coming in to ask about themselves or their own relationship or their career moves and we do repeat things word for word, they can often turn their anger or their frustration towards us and think that we are giving an opinion mm -hmm. and that we're just using any random words that we feel are appropriate. 
And there are several times in a session where I'll say, hold on, I want their words, not mine, in reference to the guides or your loved ones who have passed. Mm -hmm. And that's so crucial because in a situation like this, specifically, you want to know it's word for word and I'm not just picking left or right or choosing my interpretation. Yeah. Or that I'm saying lake, but I meant pond or I or, you know, mud pile. And I think it's easier for people to hang on to word for word when it's something like directions where they don't have an emotion directly tied to it because there isn't something affecting their ego. Mm. There isn't something that's attacking or making them feel less than what they view themselves to be. This is just find my brother, find my husband. Yeah. And at this point, two kilometers is two kilometers. It's not 20. This is like all of those things were important. I asked him at that point then to let me know um, how the day would proceed and that I was booked again the entire day and and into the evening again, but that I would try and check my cell phone between clients so that I could see if the information was of any help or not, or if I had to go back and just ask him for more information, but also maybe, I don't know, perhaps to find out why I got it wrong too, if it was. So around 4, 4.30 that day, I flipped open my cell phone and there was a message from the family member I had been speaking to who said they found him. Thank you so much for your information. It was exactly where my uncle told you they would find him. He was exactly two kilometers in the lake from the car by the road. So they... They were able to locate him. Two police officers apparently on ATVs went out to follow the directions. And the helicopter pilot went, I guess, ahead or above at the same time. I don't know that part. But they did find him and they did get his body and he had passed. So this search and rescue, I'm going to say, in some ways is successful because we do find him. And some people, I understand, will think it's not successful because we didn't find him alive. And for us, as you and I doing search and rescue, and I think for anybody doing search and rescue, it's always successful when we actually find them, yes, whether they're past or not. Because that's closure. Yeah. That is what the family can hang their hat on and get answers from. Yeah, well, because science then cannot actually look at the body and determine some things. And that's what you're saying then, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine that then, too, for the police, they want to be able to say, we have the body. Science is going to give us some answers. And perhaps the location will as well. As to what the scene can look like based all around that, sometimes it doesn't. And this is where the family has been still reaching out to me since Wednesday to say, What is he telling you? Why did he not go the same route to go back to work? Why did he get out of his car, lock it, leave his lunch in it, and walk into the bush? And some of these answers the police, I don't think, are ever going to get. Because unless you're there and you can go back in time, if you're not an intuitive, if you can't remote view, sometimes we don't get all the answers. Well, no, because you can't assume motive if you don't necessarily know the person. And if they haven't shared themselves with their loved ones, then you can't get honest answers that help you understand motive. Mm -hmm. 
And so if he was a happy-go-lucky guy, like you're saying, yeah, and he walked out from depression that he wouldn't talk about or didn't feel he could talk about mm-hmm. and decided to just take care of things on his own, mm-hmm. n- no one's going to believe that. Mm-hmm. And no one's going to jump to those conclusions either. They're going to resist it. Yeah, and I think that's fair because it's probably the way our brains work for because we have fight or flight mode ourselves well and we want to believe that our loved one was okay Mm -hmm. yeah so all of the questions have not been answered yet but I wanted to share a search and rescue story that people could listen to today and understand intuitiveness as well understand why we use our gifts so on Wednesday I spoke to the family again And he, when I asked him and said, can you explain a little bit, at least as as you've crossed over, what you were going through on earth, he kept bringing me back to problems with his brain. He kept bringing back to that in his 60s that he was starting to struggle with the way that he was thinking and his emotions. And that if you had asked certain people, they would say no. And that if you had asked other people, they would say they had noticed that. And the family member today has actually confirmed that that's correct. It's taken them five days to do it. But as they've been speaking to different family members since he's passed and they have found him, they have discovered that some family members were questioning this. When I spoke to Jacques, he told me on Wednesday um, his sister's name. He told me about his siblings. He even said her first and last name and was able to say it to me so that I could give it to the family members as an affirmation. That's pretty significant. Pretty significant because it's not typically standard for us. Mm-hmm. Names. Yeah, I don't get names all the time. I get feelings. I get medical conditions. I can remote view. There's lots of different things, but names isn't something I get hour by hour, all day long, every day. Medical is for sure, cause of death, those types of things. Uh, personalities relationships, those types of things. But he actually came through and said, tell my sister, I love her. And he named her. I just think about what that would do for me as a sister. Yeah. And and, and you know what, Kelly, for everybody else in his family, because even though he might name one, and he doesn't name every single one of you, or he doesn't say my wife by her first name, He's picking one name and saying something through a medium, through a channeler, to be able to say, I'm here, I'm speaking to her, this is for real. Yeah, and the rest of the family can go, that's him. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's neat too, because in spite of the fact that he didn't survive Earth, we want to believe that no matter how painful things were in their head, no matter how painful the process of death may have been, we need to know that they are still capable of loving, that the emotion of love can still sit there. And that, I think, is what gives us closure. Yeah, because we, I think some humans think that when a person dies, that they think that they stopped loving the humans in the process. Or that they're stuck in the process of pain. Yeah. And that he came through several times since then to tell me that he's okay, that he's happy, that he's not suffering, 
And so I was able to relay this message to these two people in the family once together and for one person in the family twice. I know you had also shared with me that it was a beautiful, perfect, sunny day. Yeah, he he wanted a perfect, sunny day. And he just said it was a good day to die. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot that. I remember you saying that because you said he was fit. He was used to being outside, outdoors. He loved it there. Mm -hmm. And that a perfect sunny day would be the one that that kind of a man would say it's a great day to go camping or a great day to go fishing. Mm -hmm. And for him on that particular day, it was just a great day to pass. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I, I can relate to that. Oh, who I, I think if we actually all thought about it, who couldn't? Yeah, because why would you pick a horrible situation? Why wouldn't you pick a beautiful snowy day or a beautiful, if you love summer, a beautiful day to go camping, mm-hmm. to be outside in nature? Yeah, so there so is... So congratulations. A- oh, thank you. Yes, because I also know that when they photographed where he was found... There were all different kinds of search and rescue professionals that were credited with what you did. Hmm. And because they were physically there, mm-hmm. they were credited for those things. Yeah. Well, the helicopter pilot did the flying over and, and did that. And the two police officers on the ATVs went through the bush to find him. So that's correct. But I don't think people understand that you physically put yourself in his body. Mm-hmm. That you physically put yourself in his vehicle. Mm-hmm. That you physically put yourself in the water yeah. with him. Yeah. And I just don't think there is anyone on this earth other than someone who does what we do who can understand that. Yeah. It was a very difficult experience. That's why I said it was very difficult to go to bed that night. Mm-hmm. I feel... um emotional. I feel a lot of things when I think about going through an experience like that with another person, another soul. There's some type of connectivity there to me that he is a stranger before that email and that it becomes intimate so quickly and that I am a changed person forever with one request to find a missing person. It does change us. Well, yeah. And it it doesn't just change you because he died. No. It changes you because the nephew who made the phone call is someone that you can um, work in terms of your empathy Mm -hmm. as an intuitive and understand how loved this man was, Jacques. Yeah. And then for him to cross and say his sister's name, you get to feel how much he loved Mm -hmm. another human. Oh, yeah. There's so many different levels of intimacy that happen. Oh, yeah. And you, you, yeah, you've said that beautifully. And I get to feel, you and I get to feel how much they love. We think that they love just because they're alive. They love us the same, if not more, when they cross over. It becomes even grander. And... That's a that to me is just absolutely incredible to experience to feel that because it puts me in this space of knowing what it's like to love you, to love Andrew, to love my friends, my family. But then it puts me in a different place that I'm absolutely in love with the spirit world. 
And that's why I said I'm so damn excited and proud. Mm -hmm. We did a happy dance. We really did. I remember just putting my hands in the air for him and doing my happy dance for him. And it might be difficult for somebody to understand that you could do a happy dance for someone when the family here is suffering. But there is still a happy dance in the sense that there is still love. That's my happy dance. If people don't always understand how I could dance because someone died tragically. No, I happy dance because love is there. Well, thank you for sharing. You're welcome. If you have questions or comments about today's show, you can email us at info at Otherwise, have an excellent weekend.